Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Find out what the whole world is thinking in the agenda. The robots are coming. In 2022, the industrial robotics sector was worth around $48.5 billion. But in 10 years' time, experts predict it will be worth more than three times that, more than $148 billion. So how will that happen? And what does it mean for global industrial growth? Swedish multinational ABB has made major investments in both China and the United States and recently announced plans for a $280 million robotics hub just outside Stockholm. Well, joining me now is the president of ABB Robotics, Mark Segura. Now, why the push in, to invest in manufacturing in Europe now and why is Sweden the place to do it? Well, there are so many factors that indicate to us that now it's the right moment to further invest on our strengths here in Europe as ABB in, in robotics. Uh, first and foremost, there, is, there are secular trends in the industry that will require more automation, more robotics in the future. You can take, for example, the aging population, which is driving labor and talent shortage. That's really becoming a burning topic in many countries in Europe. In 2035, for example, we are going to have 50 million less people to work in our factories, in our industries and services. And that, uh, just to keep the output, we need to do more with less, with less input to be more sustainable, but also with less resources and more talent uh, and more automation to keep up uh, our competitiveness in, in Europe. So that is one factor. Of course, there are other trends like becoming even more efficient in our manufacturing to drive sustainability and automation is really a big driver for efficiency. And also other trends like, I mean, near shoring and reshoring of some elements of the production. All that together indicates that we expect a 7% uh, CAGR in the coming years uh, for robotics in Europe and we really want to support that so with an expanded capacity and creating more value for our customers. And why in Sweden of course, I mean when you think about this type of investments, you, them, you do them for the mid and the long term and it was very clear for us that we had to continue to build on the legacy and heritage of uh, Sweden our creator of robotics where uh, next year, it will be 50 years that we delivered the first electric and microprocessor control robot to the market, and we've grown and developed uh, uh, from there to Europe all these decades, and that's the best place to continue our journey. And, and it's all part of this local-to-local to local pr production strategy, isn't it? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, this is in fact not new. We in robotics uh, have always wanted to be close to our markets, close to our customers, and uh, so that we've had the Vesteros factory. And last year we opened up, we were the first one moving to China. And last year, as you know, we really opened up our mega factory in Shanghai to serve China and Asia. But also for many years, we've had our factory in Michigan in the US to serve the North American market. So this region for region local strategy to be close and responsive to our markets, we have always had that. Now, when it comes to our European base, it was time to upgrade our facility, to modernize it, to increase capacity, to adopt the new technology so we can continue to better serve this growing demand of robots in Europe. 
example, I wonder um, to what extent green considerations come into what you're doing with operations in Sweden. Let me talk a bit about this new campus because it's, it's really exciting for us. We'll combine in one place manufacturing production, research and development, but also training. And we will do that, of course, in a, the facility is going to meet the highest sustainability uh, criteria in, in Sweden, which is the gold certification. We're going to have solar power in the roof, which will uh, supply 55% of our total electricity needs. Um, but the factory itself also will be designed in a way to be really efficient. Uh, we're going to have automatic warehouse uh, delivering uh, the parts to the assembly robotic lines with people working in collaboration with robots, with cobots. Uh, the, uh, material flow served by autonomous mobile robot uh, and having the R&D co-located and open up to work and co-develop with academia, with the startups, with our customers to create a thrilling um, innovation ecosystem. That's why we really call it a campus, which is much more beyond just a production unit. You mentioned cobots there. So what's the difference between a robot and a cobot? A cobot is still it is it is a robot it's a programmable multi-axis machine run by a controller but the core stands for collaborative robot so cobots are robots that are designed from a safety perspective but also from a user uh, interface perspective to be really close uh, to to persons to really uh, share tasks with humans in a safe way but also in a ease of use in a very easy uh, use of uh, of work with the robot so that is particularly important for a small companies that are early adopters of, uh, uh, are starting in robotics. So they can start small, they can start in an easy way and then can, uh, let's say, uh, learn and, and follow this journey of upgrading and becoming more competitive, adopting then broader automation. So Cobot is really a very important uh, part of our portfolio because it will support and address a growing market, which in Europe, small and medium enterprises, of course, they need to become more competitive. Well, that's something I wanted to ask you about, you know, who, who is buying? Because I wonder, is it still you know, the big construction and, and automotive firms? Or are you finding that there's an appeal to small and medium-sized businesses looking at ways to, to mitigate tight labour markets? Yeah, absolutely. We, we, say, we see that in, in, in any segment uh, of the industrial space and, and beyond also in, in logistics and, and in e-commerce. Um, we, we're having a tremendous lack of people and talent and that it's not going to improve. I mean demographics is, is what it is. So to ease those tensions companies are, of course are resorting to automation. There are some segments which are already very highly automated like automotive but still they are there in this transformation from to electrical vehicles so there's a huge uh, uh, opportunity there to, to improve as they transform. But on the other angle as you said I mean uh, segments like construction, heavy labor intensive, uh, logistics heavy labor intensive, they really need to find a way to uh, supply uh, what is asked for them and, and here automation and robotics is, is really being very attractive and we're having a lot of uh, interest and, uh, and development in these new segments. Also you can take health healthcare, pharmaceuticals, even in food service industry. Uh, robotics is much more today than building cars and it will be even more in the near future. So what you're talking about is your robots you know, filling a skills gap but will you always need people to, to program them or do you think we're at the, the cusp of an industrial revolution that will just change everything in industry as we know it? Yeah, uh, of course the nice thing of robotics is that it rides on any exponential technology development so if the mobile industry is developing I mean 
cheap performance cameras, now we can afford to put cameras in the robots. If the auto industry is developing batteries for autonomous cars, we can put now batteries in our autonomous mobile robots. So we can really, I mean, absorb all these developments to create more value with the robots. Um, but we are really convinced that even with all these AI advancement, robots will primarily continue to be a tool, a tool to amplify humans, to elevate work. And that you can see today in very automated factories. They just became more successful. There are different and new type of jobs there. And basically, the companies that succeed over time, they also grow and have better and more quality employment. But also, at the same time, in, uh, in, in, in uh, small industries that they don't have maybe the means of large companies, these technologies will make robots easy to adopt. And that's very important because if they cannot adopt it because they cannot find very qualified people to program and operate the robots, they will not be able to have a chance to benefit from that benefit. So we are really working to lower that barrier of entrance so everyone can really handle and operate the robot for their own uh, uh, purpose. And that's both things are, are going to play very well in the future. So you're, you're talking about ease of using robotics, about how it's going to help everyone, but, but I, I wonder if it's actually something that, that maybe we should be fearing, because you know, the whole big conversation around the world right now is around AI. I'm just wondering how that fits into the whole robotics industry and if we should be scared. Uh, of course, there's a lot of uh, excitement now about certain developments in artificial intelligence like generative AI, chat GPT. But when you talk about robotics and industrial robotics, first, there is a, a very strong regulation about safety. The robots have to be caged, and if they're not, there has to be a proper risk assessment so uh, co-workers are, are protected. But then again, how AI is applied to robotics, again, is not to, that the robots are taking away, I mean, the, the intellectual uh, work from the people. It's, it, they are amplified to do more applications of tedious and repetitive and physical work, which is not rewarding. Less and less people are, are, are keen to do that. But instead of that, you're going to have upgraded jobs where you're supervising the robots, you're working on quality, you're working on continuous improvement, you're working on process implementation instead of being in the process. So uh, the, the next uh, features that robots will have on AI will be around autonomous manipulation, autonomous uh, navigation, so they can take on more tasks, uh, but still around these dual and repetitive uh, manual physical tasks. So that's the, the, the future that you're envisaging. It may or may not be a, you know, a, a steep curve to get there. What do you see as the biggest challenges to, to growing your business in, in Europe, in the United States, around the world? I think in general, of course, I mean, first we need to put we, we need to be smart users of these technology developments, again, to make robots easier to use, but at the same time, education. We are really excited about, again, bringing this technology as an opportunity to elevate work, and that means that we need first to upskill and retrain the existing workforce so they can uh, develop, but at the same time, we really need to train the new generation so they are coming into the market already educated in and, and seeing the world through the eyes of robotics and automation, which ultimately is to see the eyes of performance, efficiency, and ultimately sustainability. So skills, training, that's something that, that you see as a potential obstacle if it's not fixed. What are, what are the other big challenges to, to, to growing the way you want to? Every market has its demand and supply cycles, and that we, we just need to uh, go with it. Uh, but again, uh, the secular trends are there in terms of labor shortage, the need for productivity, need for sustainability, the value chain, I mean, resilience. The challenge is to continue to grow on one hand, 
for example, now in some, re in some regions, the, the cost of capital has increased. So that's putting more of a burden on capital investment. Uh, at, uh, on, on, in other regions, it's more about the general economic uh, climate. But the, again, that's, that's cyclical. But uh, again, going back to the point, I think it's, it's very much about educating, not only educating technical people, but educating also the managers, especially in this small and medium-sized company, that they have not been exposed, like in other industries like automotive and so on, to really be born from uh, an automation thinking, that uh, education, that exposure, that learning, on, and uh, that's a big part of the economy. That's really, really the blue ocean where uh, the robotics industry is trying to crack into to support them and also to expand the business. What about getting the stuff you need to build these robots of the future? You need a lot of chips, a lot of semiconductor chips, and there's a big squeeze on that around the world. So what are companies like yours doing about that? Well, I think we all have tried to learn our lessons from from the supply chain challenges that happened over the last years. And I think we're taking, I mean, the smart actions as many others are doing. Of course, we are reviewing our, our supply chain. We are reviewing our single source. And we are developing architectures that are more flexible and less dependent on a particular single component. So we can probably be more flexible to adapting to, to certain developments on the supply chain. I mean, no one can really have a recipe to be 100% shielded from any turbulence. But I think we've taken good lessons and applying into our controller architecture to be more resilient going forward. Mark Segura, thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great day. Still to come here on the agenda, intelligent transformation, how robots are transforming Chinese manufacturing. Welcome back to the agenda. China is now the world's largest industrial robot market, accounting for more than half of the world's total. And the country has plans to increase the use of robots still further in sectors from energy to education, agriculture to healthcare. Well, here to explain how that might happen is Georg Stieler, Managing Director of STM China, Robotics Consultancy. Georg, thanks for, for coming on the agenda. Now, you have said that the situation in robotics in China has never been so exciting. Why is that? Well, as you just said, uh, China is, uh, I think, uh, responsible for every second industrial robot sold in, in the world, or even a little bit more right now. And uh, this way, it's setting uh, major trends for industrial automation. It was first uh, in the manufacturing of electronic products, such as uh, smartphones and tablets in the last couple of years, but now also in electric cars, where China is the biggest exporter of the world, batteries and photovoltaics. These are applications that do not exist or only exist to a very limited extent in Europe and the US. And uh, because China is a leader in these areas, companies there are benefiting from the corresponding economies of scale and learning effects. You, you mentioned electric vehicles, you've mentioned from batteries there. I mean, are those still the most important sectors in the robotics business? Or do you think things like solar are going to see growth in investment and funding? Traditionally, the automotive industry has been the largest sales market for for robots that has been like that for decades. It was China that changed that um, in the years 2017, 2018, when there were more robots 
deployed in the manufacturing of um, computers and consumer and communication electronics. That changed again during the last uh, two or three years when we had the super cycle in the ramp up of uh, new production capacities for electric vehicles. So um, we see that uh, the automotive industry is responsible for more than a quarter of robot sales in China at the moment. There are industries that are growing faster, yeah, like you mentioned, photovoltaics and uh, batteries. The, the capacity for the production of uh, solar modules in China is expected to more than double this year. Accordingly, this market is growing very fast as a sales market, but it's still only 6% yeah, compared to the 26 of, uh, yeah. of automotive um, Batteries is large, it's 12%, but uh, we, we still see automotive and uh, consumer electronics as the major sales markets for robots, also for the, for the um, yeah, foreseeable future. You talk about China as facilitating change in, in, in the sector in general, and I'm wondering what's behind the success of Chinese manufacturers like Innovance, Jarka, Eston. Is it that the supply chain squeeze that's been sort of forcing production closer to local markets, or is it something else? The supply chain bottlenecks at foreign manufacturers during the pandemic certainly opened a window of opportunity for, for Chinese manufacturers. The speed with which you can deliver uh, is, a, is a critical uh, criterion when, when it's about winning a contract in a, in a large factory. And so there we saw Chinese top-tier OEMs, but also multinationals in China soften their requirements during the last three years, which then made it possible for the local suppliers to get into deals that, that were closed for them before. Another aspect where they are clearly very good is price. You know, if we take uh, Jackai, you mentioned, they sell for less than 50% of their international competition Innovance has a reputation also with their domestic competition as the price butcher and uh, Eston sells for 20% less than, than their Japanese peers. That was not all though. We see for in particular for Eston, they have been extremely successful by identifying scalable niche applications and then become the market leader there. We, we saw that um, for them both in battery production and also in uh, photovoltaics uh, production. But I wonder about skills as well, because the Chinese government has invested very heavily in STEM, hasn't it, in education and in training. And I wonder to what extent that plays into the growth story of robotics in China. When we started covering the Chinese robotics industry about 10 years ago, we, we still heard a lot of complaint about the lack of uh, skilled robotics engineers, in particular on the system integrator side. And uh, this continued, and it, it still is an issue today sometimes. Uh, but comparing that to the situation in, uh, in Central Europe, it's unthinkable these days that the position of a project engineer will be vacant for six or nine months, as we are seeing this uh, in, in Germany or Switzerland these days. So from that perspective, uh, the strategy of the Chinese government paid off and it was accompanied by the dynamics of the Chinese um, yeah, location as a, as a manufacturing place in the world. The industry just developed with that and uh, that also solved um, part of the skill gap. So what is happening with European robotics companies in China? 
They are localizing. They have been trying this for years. We we saw that five years ago, it, they, they were already trying to, to source more components locally. That was a big challenge back then because they were just not good enough suppliers. But in the meantime, we have uh, local suppliers for gears and for servos. Uh, so they, they are manufacturing more in China now, uh, yeah, ABB, KUKA, Fanuc, they, they have some of, of the most uh, advanced uh, robot facilities there in the world. They also develop more in the in the local market. That was for some of them also quite a challenge because uh, somebody who has not lived in China, uh, it's difficult to understand the speed of the developments mm. there. So the local subsidiaries also need to have... Uh, a corresponding degree of autonomy to to make their own decisions, and then they can be um, yeah also in, um, kind of uh, provide advice for new industries as, as we have them uh, electric vehicles where, where China is just uh, at the, the the spearhead of of evolution. And what trends are you seeing for for Chinese robotic companies in foreign markets? We have seen Chinese companies trying to escape the price war uh, in their home market for quite some time. The first ones were companies like Geek Plus, mobile robot manufacturers who can sell their robots for two or three times the price than in China when, when they go to Europe. And we see that uh, uh, cobot uh, manufacturers, uh, they are following them. We expect to see a lot of more uh, Chinese collaborative robots in, in Europe and in Latin America. So they are clearly going abroad. We also see that um, you know, to, to hedge the risks of geopolitical tensions that uh, Chinese component manufacturers are increasingly setting up branches in Southeast Asia, in um, Mexico, but, but also in Europe. Oh, yeah. So these, these are two major trends. And then we see that companies like BYD or CATL, that, that they are setting up plants outside of China or Chinese electronic contract manufacturers like Luxshare, and they still make their purchasing decisions in China. So they are bringing their established Chinese suppliers with them around the world. We've talked a lot about manufacturing, about automotive in particular, um, and the, the scope for, for, for battery production as well, and the role that robots can play. But what about other sectors like, like healthcare, um, education, um, elder care? Let's talk about the increasing importance of the role of robotics in those fields. Yeah. Uh, so for robotics in education is already quite a market. Uh, we, we see a lot of very competitively priced uh, desktop uh, robots um, produced uh, in, in southern China uh, in the area of uh, Guangzhou, Shenzhen. And they are also being applied here uh, at research institutions. And that, that uh, just makes it much easier when, when a school can buy such a robot for 1,000 or 2,000 euro instead of 20,000 like it used to be. In, uh, in healthcare, we see the majority yeah, in, in laboratories. Uh, during COVID, there were a lot of robots sold to, do, uh, to handle the, the testing um, of, of, of COVID tests. And uh, we, we see more now in, in other labs. So that, that frees up the uh, skilled labor force to focus on the things where they really make the money with. What role do you think AI um, and new technology is going to play in, in enhancing that human interaction with robots? I mean, that's basically, that's essential. And uh, this is also where many companies have, uh, have high hopes for. We, we have a lot of craze about uh, ChatGPT and, and what kind of content uh, 
AI uh, suddenly can uh, can produce. Um, we we see first steps where where manuals for robots are being. You don't have to read through a PDF anymore. You will just ask a question. These are baby steps. 99% of the robots out in the field are still very stupid. They, they are hard programmed, and if they, if they meet an object somewhere where it's not supposed to be, they will either stop or they will destroy it. AI will help to make the, the vision of, of the robots better than it is today, and it will also help the robots then to, do, to make their own decisions and make them much more flexible and therefore open up a, a vast array of applications. And before that, we will already see that's not necessarily AI, that's just uh, software. We, we see simplified uh, programming with uh, smarter user interfaces and larger application libraries uh, that, that will also allow you and me to program a, a robot without a single line of code. Georg Stieler, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Coming soon on the agenda, a greener future, how China's Belt and Road is helping them move to more sustainable energy. But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all the agenda team here in London, goodbye. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home.